Uh, this morning, we want to turn our attention to Luke chapter number one, and we're going to be um, specifically uh, giving some attention to verses uh, five through 25. Verses 5 through 25. Also, by way of announcement, we have Bible study every Wednesday night at 645. If you are available uh, to meet us here, it is a great time to fellowship and also to get in God's word together. Uh, We try our best uh, to be done um, uh, promptly before 8 o'clock. So if you are able to come, please join us from 645 to 8 every Wednesday night here at the church. Also, there will be a sign-up uh, this week that goes out for child care or kids ministry in the back. Um, I know it's a sacrifice, but if you are uh, willing and able and desiring to serve in a different capacity, please sign up. Um, it's going to go out this week in the weekly email. <clears throat> Luke chapter number five, I mean, Luke, verse, Luke chapter number one, verse number five simply declares, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have... Joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him uh, in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and to the disobedient, to the, to the, wisdom, um, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel of the Lord answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand before the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that they had, they had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them, to, to, and he remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept, hit, kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me. In the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach from among people. Uh, This morning, I want us to take some time and walk through this text. And we want to preach very simply from the subject title, Barren But Still Blessed. We'll talk about being barren but still blessed. Let me pray for us. Father, my heart is excited about uh, what you desire um, to say to us this morning. 
God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for a passage of scripture that might seem uh, distant and disconnected, God, but I pray that we would be able to see this passage, God, with fresh eyes, so much so, God, that we can see ourselves in every aspect of the text. God, thank you that you are still sending messengers to us. God, thank you that you are still answering our prayers. God, thank you that even though there is a delay in your answer, that does not mean that you're denying us. God, help us find comfort in that and help us find peace. In Jesus' name we pray and give thanks. Amen. I want to start off with an honest, honest confession this morning. Uh, When I began preparing this sermon, my initial thought was, there is no way I can make a connection between what's going on in the text and what's going on today. I mean, let's be real. If I came up here and told y'all that I have uh, been visited by angel, I'm sure there'll be a few less people here next week. The idea of this angelic host or this angelic being uh, suddenly appearing uh, to this man is totally foreign and totally disconnected from what we experience today. As I prayed about how to introduce the text, the Lord reminded me of a true story, uh, a, a, a practical application of how God can still send a messenger to us today. Uh, when my oldest son was born, he was born with a condition called craniosynostesis. It means that the soft spots in his head were closed. They were already fused together. Um, babies are born with the soft spots so that their brains have room to grow and room to develop. But his uh, were born fused, which means that literally uh, he was born with a hard head. Um, true story. He got that from his mother as well. <laughs> Everyone who laughed, you should be ashamed. It's a hereditary condition. Avita had the same issue. I wasn't taking a shot at her. Just so y'all know that. I'm not trying to mess up my Sunday afternoon. Thank you. I can remember being at the hospital that morning of surgery. I can remember feeling nervous, being fearful, and I can remember feeling 100% alone. And while we were in the waiting room and we were waiting on uh, an update from the doctor, I can remember seeing one of my best friends uh, from college. Um, it's, it's so funny. He lives five, six hours away. I'm in the hospital, and the first thing I said was, well, what are you doing here, right? I, I was so overcome with emotion, and he began to minister to me, and he said two things that I will never forget. He says, Thomas, I'm here to remind you that I loved you, and I'm here to remind you that God has not forgotten about you. When I think about that story, it reminds me that the Lord oftentimes will send a messenger when you need one. The Lord has a way of sending a word to you. Could be circumstances, could be people, could even be an angel. But God has a specific way to be able to get us a message when we need it. When I think about uh, what happened to me in the hospital that day, it does remind me of what is happening in our text today. You have a family that's hurting. You have a family that feels hopeless. You have a family that is in need of a word from the Lord, and the Lord is faithful to send a message by way of an angelic messenger to tell the people that, yes, you are barren, but yes, you are still blessed. I want us to look at the the text from four different perspectives, and the first thing we need to see is when we think about what's going on in the text, we need to see that there is a hard reality. There is a hard reality that they had to accept. Verse 7 says, or verse, verse 6 says, they were both righteous before God. They were walking blameless 
uh, in all the commandments in the statutes of the Lord, but they had no child. Verse 5 speaks about this man named Herod, and it introduces this, this comparison between two totally different men. Luke um, chapter number 1, verse 5 gives us a hard reality, but Luke speaks about two specific men. Uh, one man is Herod, and one man is Zechariah. When we consider the context of the text, we got to see that there could not be two men who were any more different than each other. One was a monster of iniquity. The other was a man of integrity. One was a a vicious prince. The other one was a virtuous priest. One was a young man. The other was an old man. One loved God. The other hated God. One murdered his sons and his wife, while the other one was a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you think about it, Instead of focusing on Herod, he's mentioned one time, but the rest of the text gives us an opportunity to see a humble man and his wife. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were both descendants of Aaron. Aaron was, from context we know, Aaron was Moses' brother. Uh, Aaron is considered uh, the father of the priesthood. We'll go a little bit more uh, in detail uh, this Wednesday concerning what was the priesthood and what his family meant. But essentially, just to give you the cliff notes, for Aaron, um, for, for these two people to be descendants of Aaron, essentially, their family had been serving in the temple since the days of David. The Bible gives us that context. They are descendants of Aaron, but it also gives us a phenomenal and specific word about their character. Verse 6 tells us that they were both righteous in God's eyes, and they were both blameless concerning their lifestyle. I got to pause and ask that question. If there, was a, if there was a story written about my life, would the story be written and could the words be, saying, could the words be said that Thomas Settles lived a righteous life, that I lived a blameless life? They were advanced in years, meaning that they were old, but they would catch this still faithful to the Lord. They had a good start, but they were also committed to a faithful finish. And although they were faithful to the Lord, although they were righteous in God's eyes, the text tells us that she is barren, meaning that she could not conceive children. Uh, She was blessed, but she was barren. She had been faithful to the Lord, but in her life, she was unfertile in her womb. Uh, To truly appreciate the text, it requires us to appreciate how hard it would have been for her to live in that day and time. To be righteous, but childless. To live in a culture that valued women based upon how many children that they had. I'm sure she and her husband had to wonder, what was God doing? I, I don't know about you, but I've, I've lived long enough to, to have some days and, and some late nights where I just I couldn't sleep too well because I was just wondering what God was doing. I was wondering uh, how God was going to change my situation. One commentator says it this way. He says, I'm sure the couple asked the question. Why were they childless since they were righteous? Or maybe they wondered, were they, were they truly righteous since they were childless? I'm going to say it again. They, they asked the question, why were they childless since they were righteous? Or maybe they wondered, were they truly righteous since they were childless? When I consider that question, I believe it is one that we often ask, maybe not specifically with those exact words, but we have been in that same place. Maybe you've asked that question. Maybe you've not asked that question concerning kids, but I'm sure we've asked that question is really close to that question because all of us, catch this, have a tendency to connect God's approval with God's blessing. 
if we're honest this morning, if we're, if we're true about our life outside of the four walls of this building, it's super easy for us to connect what I expect God to do with whether or not I have earned God's approval. This is how it works. I want you to catch this. Because of how my heart is wired, because I am still in the flesh, because I am imperfect as a person, it's easy for me to begin to believe that if I'm really faithful to God and God really loves me, then God will give me blank. If I'm really faithful to God, like if I, if I cross all my T's, if I dot all my I's spiritually, then I just know that I know that I know that I know that God is going to give me what I want. If I'm really faithful to God and God really loves me, God's going to give me that relationship. If I'm really faithful to God and God really loves me, God's going to give me that business. If I'm really faithful to God and God really loves me, God will give me blank. We also begin to think that, I mean, because let's be real. I mean, God did it for, for Keisha and Caden, and I know I'm more faithful than them. I know my prayer life is better than them. I know I go to church more than them. I know, I know I'm closer to God than them, and because we have that kind of mindset, because we think that we have been so faithful, we think we've been so good, we begin to think that God owes me something. Here's why this mindset is problematic. If I don't get blank, you fill in the blank. If I don't get blank, the relationship, the job, the degree, the family, the approval of others, if I don't get blank, then Satan leads me to believe two things. Either I'm not being faithful or God doesn't love me. If you conclude in your mind, that your performance requires God to do a certain thing, then you're going to believe the lie that I must not be faithful. I got to do more. I got to try hard. I got to do more. Or God does not love me. It essentially gets us back to what we want to talk about often at our churches is this performance mindset. Um, As I was preparing this morning, I was reminded of the truth that by God's grace, the Lord will never love me any more or any less than he does right now. And I can say that not because I'm a preacher and not because I'm on stage and not because it sounds good. I can say that because that is the truth. Everyone here, when you have a relationship with Christ, when you have a, a, a relationship with the Lord, you can say that the Lord will never love me any more or any less than he does right now. Now, yes, can we grieve God because of our sin? Absolutely. But just because we grieve God because of our sin does not mean that we are less or more loved by God. Um, I often do a, a study with, with athletes, and we've done the study here at the church. Um, it's called the Gospel-Centered Life. And in one of the chapters, um, it asks uh, a very simple question I want to ask us this, this morning. The question is, if God were standing with you right now, and God were looking at you face to face, what would the look on God's face be? Do you think that it would be a picture of disappointment 
or anger or indifference? Do you think that God is looking at you saying, man, I wish that you would get your act together. Man, I wish you would stop messing up. I wish you would just stop being stupid. Because the truth is, if you are a believer, if you have a relationship with Christ, if you have placed your faith and your trust in Christ, when God sees you, he sees one who is forgiven and one who is deeply loved. Quickly, if you go with me to Galatians chapter number four, verse number four, it simply says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, catch this, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons or daughters. And because you are sons or daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter. The text is communicating in Christ, we are deeply loved and satisfied, not based upon our performance, but based solely upon the work of Christ, that we are adopted into God's family And I am a son or a daughter of God based upon God's adoption, which means that my identity must always be in Christ. It should never be in my performance. If we imagine that if we were better Christians, God would be more fully happy or more joyous or more delighting in us, then we believe a performance mentality that is totally unbiblical. When you think about it, there is first a a hard reality, but then secondly, there is a hopeful revelation. Verse number 11 says, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been answered, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Uh, In the text, Elizabeth is not fertile, but she's faithful. In the text, Zechariah is not famous, but he's faithful. And as they were faithfully serving God, God faithfully spoke to them right where they were. As Zechariah was ministering in the temple, the Lord sent an an angelic messenger to minister to the minister. I wish I had time to go and talk about how important it is to minister to the minister, how important it is to pray, not just for me, but to pray for your pastor, to pray for your leaders, to pray for those who are in positions of authority. And in this text, you have a minister being ministered to. The angel begins by saying, fear not, your prayers have been answered. God has heard you and God has answered you. To the pause there and think for a second, what would an announcement like this mean to this couple? For years, they had begged heaven for a baby boy, but they went without what they had asked for. Well, I think it's important for us to say um, something about uh, this issue of unanswered prayers. Like, it's easy for us to believe the lie that God does not answer our prayers. Let me just go ahead and correct that. Uh, God answers every single prayer. God does not answer the prayers the way I want them to be answered all the time. Matter of fact, the majority of the time, the prayer is not answered the way I want it to be answered. But every single time, God reminds me that he is in control. And he reminds me that he answers our prayers. A close friend of mine this week reminded me of a very important passage, Psalm 46, verse 10. It says, be still and know 
that I am God. Be still and know. What the psalm is communicating is be patient and know that I am in control. I know it's been a long time. I know you've been praying. I know you've been seeking God, but be patient and know I have a plan. Be patient and know that my delays are not a denial. Though Zechariah might have thought that God had denied his request, the angel tells him, yes, God is willing to fulfill your request. And the angel tells the father about his future son's character and his future son's vocation, that he would be a man who is great in the eyes of God and in the eyes of man, and he will also be a spokesman for the Lord. So we have a hard reality, a hopeful revelation, but then thirdly, a hard-headed response. Verse 18 says, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel brings the good news, but because it had been so long, Zechariah responded, How can this be? Essentially, he's saying, I am too old. He's saying, I've been waiting too long. He's saying, This cannot happen. If you ever find yourself in a situation, I want you to remember that when our eyes are on our problem, we will never see God's power. In Zechariah's case, his eyes were on his old age. And because his eyes were on his old age, he could not even consider God's power. In our lives, we will not receive God's word or trust in God's power when we can't think past our present day problems. When I begin to exalt my problems and I place them on the same level as God's power, I will never experience God's power. When we are focused on our problems, then we can't focus on God's promise. When we can't hear God's promises, we will fail to believe in God's power. I was was reading a story, and it was so good. It It was a story about how you can take a small quarter... And, that, and, and one small quarter can totally block out the sun. When I first heard the statement, I was like, that's not possible. But the story continues. It says, if you bring the quarter close enough to your eye, that quarter will literally be able to block out anything behind it. You can take a, a quarter, and it can literally block out something as powerful as the sun. And many of us, that's, that's how we operate with our problems. We are so focused on the problem. We are so focused on our limitation. Our eyes are so consumed with the problem that we cannot see the sun. And when I say the sun, I'm not talking about the S-U-N. I'm talking about the S-O-N. So a lot of times you're going through something in your life and you're so consumed uh, with what's wrong, what's happening, who's against you, how things are not working out, how people are coming against you. And you are so consumed with those problems that you miss an opportunity to focus on the Lord. I love the story because it is, it is Zacharias' issue is our issue. Zacharias, uh, Zachariah was not focused on God. He was focused on his problem. He, rem- he, he should have remembered that God was faithful to Abraham. Abraham was in his same exact situation, and God was faithful. And when we go through problems, when we go through issues in our life, the reason why we go to the scriptures is not to just uh, slap a band-aid on it. We want to see how God has dealt with his people in the past to see how God can deal with me in my present. 
That's why we get in God's word. That's why we open up the scriptures. That's why we apply the truth of the word, because we want to see what God has done in the past. We want to see God do that in the present in my life. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you are dealing with. I don't know what you're facing, but I want to challenge you with this. Connect what you're going through with what has already happened in God's word and trust that God will show his faithfulness in your life as well. You look at the text. Zechariah focused on the problem rather than focusing on the promise. He did not go back to the scriptures. He, did not, he had the Old Testament. He had stories of God's faithfulness. He had opportunities to lean on uh, his faith. But what Zechariah says is, he says, I want a sign. He says, I want proof. I, said, I, don't, want, I don't want the promise. I want the proof. And when I think about the passage, it's a, it's a reminder that, that you can be a righteous person uh, in a righteous place, doing righteous things, and still not believe God's promise. We can be in church, saying the right thing, doing the right thing. We can be, we can be in God's house. We can be, quote-unquote, good people and still not be people who believe God's promise. That's how, that's how unbelief creeps into church. We get discouraged because things are not happening the way we want them to. We get discouraged because God isn't answering our prayers the way we want, us, want him to, and we begin to to allow unbelief to, to, to corrupt our hearts. It's easy for us to, to be sincere in prayer, but to, to, to go so long without God answering the prayer we want, the way we want him to that we, we just stop praying as fervently as we used to. Even as a preacher, it's, it's easy for me to, to allow unbelief to sneak in my heart that the people aren't really listening, the people aren't really changing, that the people are just going through the motions. That is a a lie from Satan. It's easy for a parent to think that my kids aren't getting it, my kids aren't growing, my kids aren't doing what I want them to do. My kids are not uh, as excellent as they should be, but, but that's a lie from Satan. It's easy for me to think that my spouse isn't doing what I want them to do, my, my spouse should be better, but, but that's just a lie from Satan. And the more we believe those lies from Satan, the more unbelief begins to corrupt our hearts. When you think about it, the lesson that we see um, in the life of Zechariah and the life of Elizabeth is applicable to all believers, that you and I should never allow our circumstances to hinder you from God's work in you and through you. I want to encourage somebody this morning that God has not forgotten about you in his plan any more than God forgot about Elizabeth and Zechariah. I want to encourage you that you are a vital part of the church. I want to encourage you not to allow the quarter to block out the sun. Don't allow the relationship or the education or the address or the career or the past hurts or the present pain to block you from seeing God's promise. So first, there's a hard reality. Then secondly, there's a hopeful revelation. Thirdly, there's a hard-headed response. And then fourthly, we're done. There's a humbling rebuke. Verse 19 says, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which, we, which will be fulfilled in their time. Verses 19 through 20 can be summed up like this. Man, do you know who I am? Man, don't you know who I work for? You want a sign? So I'm a, you want a sign? Let me give you a sign. <laughs> the sign I'm going to give you is I'm going to shut your mouth. 
And when I, when I read the passage, I've got to ask myself, Thomas, are you allowing unbelief to put you in a position where God is going to have to shut your mouth? When we think about it from that perspective, we want to be willing to receive the message that God has for us in faith. I'll close with verses 24 and 25. It says, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. As a woman, she was defined by how many kids she possessed. So to not have kids publicly was a disgrace. Her reproach was not with God. Her reproach was against or among people. Elizabeth was embarrassed because she was barren. I got to say a word here about walking with Christ. Um, In your walk with Christ, in your faith journey, there are going to be some times when you are embarrassed for the gospel. There's going to be some times where people just do not understand why you do what you do. There's going to be people who don't understand why you're pursuing purity. People are not going to understand why you give to the church. People are not going to understand why you even come to church or why you study your Bible. People are going to try to make you feel uh, foolish and stupid because you are pursuing the Lord actively. But there are other times in this walk with Christ where you will be embarrassed and the embarrassment will come because of God's design for your life. The job layoff, the family structure, the no, the breakup, all of those things are things that the Lord has allowed the world to see, and the world will call you a silly and stupid and foolish, and you will be embarrassed. But here's the truth. When you continue to walk with God, God can turn your embarrassment into a blessing. Uh, can I get uh, Catherine to come on up when we're ready to close? Uh, close with this just very simple story, and then I'll give an application. Uh, I, am not, I am not like Andy Johnston. Uh, Andy Johnston is an avid reader. Um, I'm one of those guys where I kind of skim, you know, kind of skim as much as I need to to take my test and kind of get on to the next level, right? Um, I do not like reading, but here's what I've learned in my life in terms of reading. In my life, I've learned that a bad chapter is different than the last chapter. In a book, bad chapters may exist, but just because we have a bad chapter does not mean that God intends for it to be the last chapter. Jesus told us in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. Essentially, he was telling us, in this world, you will have some bad chapters. But he says, take heart, because I have overcome the world. What he's saying is, in God's economy and in God's kingdom, a bad chapter isn't the last chapter as long as you don't give up your faith. Here are three points of application that we're done today. When I think about the passage specifically uh, how God ministers to Elizabeth and Zechariah, first thing we got to say is, or challenge is, do not allow the world to determine your value. Uh, since the passage specifically speaks to women, I think I need to say something specifically 
um, to the women in the room and the women of our church. The world has placed value on women based upon your ability to have children, uh, your ability to take care of a house, your ability uh, to be known by a man who puts a ring on your finger. That's a lie. Your value is not determined by your kids or your shape or uh, your job or your marital status. As a woman, I want to encourage you to find your value in Christ. Same thing for men. Our value is not based upon how much money we make and what title we have and how many degrees we have. The world is consistently trying to get us to, va- to find a value outside of Christ. Especially for our sisters in the room, there's so many women who struggle with trying to find an identity that is separate from Christ. And, and in the text, she was barren, but she was still blessed. The, the, the culture did not value her. The world said that she was insignificant, that she was marginalized, but, but God says she was a righteous woman and blameless. It reminds us that what God says about me must always be more important than what the world has to say about me. Now, so first, don't allow the world to determine your value, but secondly, don't allow a delay to be seen as a denial. God uses people, and most time when God uses people, those people had to wait. God used Abraham greatly, but he had to wait. God used Noah greatly, but he had to wait. God used Esther greatly, but she had to wait. God used Paul greatly, but they had to wait. And so many times, especially in our culture, we just want it now, we want it immediate But I want to encourage you to wait because catch this, the delay is different than the denial. Lastly, I want to challenge us as a church not to allow a bad chapter to be the last chapter. I think as as a church body, we've got to admit that life is hard. We don't want to ever get to a place to where we are um, inconsiderate and not willing to acknowledge that people are going through rough things. People are going through hard times. And that's important for us to acknowledge it. That's important for us to enter into it and walk with you. But I want to I just encourage you. Keep reading. God's story is not done yet. God is not finished with you yet. God is able to change and transform you. And, and far too many of us have given up after a series of bad chapters. But I believe in my heart. I believe, I think Siri trying to preach. I believe in my heart that if we continue to... It's 71 degrees right now. Thank you, Siri. <laughs> I believe if we continue to preach, we continue to serve, we continue to follow God, I believe in my heart that God will let us know that his final chapter is a chapter marked with victory. God's final chapter is a chapter that lets us know that we are more than conquerors. God's final chapter is a chapter where we are with him in his presence without any sin, without any suffering. 